This is a podcast by The Straits Times. The guitar? Your girlfriend is miscarrying, in pain, crying next to you. And the only thing you do is to sit next to her and play your guitar? Hello and welcome to Pop Vouchers, a pop culture podcast by The Straits Times. My name is Jen Lee. And today we are going to do something different. We are going to do a book club episode. Woohoo! I'm like Reese with a spoon right now. Okay, basically, I read from start to end the woman and me, Britney Spears' best selling memoir that just came out. And I'm here to share with you some things that I learned from this book, okay? And I'm here to answer some questions. But before I launch into it, a little bit of a trigger warning. Britney's story gets quite dark at parts. So there are mentions of abuse. There are mentions of an abortion in quite excruciating detail. There are also just in general like mentions of misogyny and and body shaming rhetoric. And if, you know, you're not in the space for that right now, maybe, you know, put this episode aside and come back to it later or whatever, you know, uh, suits you. So there's that. So because this episode is so long and also because I am not able to record a Can I Tell You Something Crazy this month because I'm going on vacation later this month for like 10 days. Thank you very much. Because of that, I am splitting this episode into two parts. In the first part, I will answer three questions. Firstly, do I think this book is well written? Secondly, do I think this book is trustworthy? And last one is whether I think Britney shows any like self-reflection and introspection in this book that... I think makes it a worthy read. Spoiler alert, I do. Okay, so those are the three questions I will answer. After I answer my three questions, I will go into some of the big things that I took away from the book, some of the things that were really like bombshells to me, revelations to me, some of the things that affected me and I felt very deeply about. Obviously, one of those things is the Justin Timberlake of it all. Justin Timberlake is mentioned in quite a good amount of this book although I wouldn't say that Britney lingers on it but it is mentioned so we will talk about Justin Timberlake and one of the big headlines that came out of this memoir which is that Britney was pregnant at one point when she was with Justin Timberlake and they decided to get an abortion so that is one of the things that we will talk about and then uh, we will talk about the next man in her life Kevin Federline who really also sucks but (laughs) I I wouldn't actually touch on Kevin Federline this much because Britney herself doesn't talk about Kevin Federline that much, aside from talking about how their divorce and custody battle was uh, really, really painful for her. But there is one particular bit uh, where she talks about Kevin Federline that really made me feel a lot for Britney. And I really related to as someone who maybe has also been in a few relationships that I wasn't particularly proud of. So I will be talking about that. And then I think we will end this episode... And then the next part, I will talk about all the things that led up to Britney having a fairly public mental breakdown in the late 2000s and the sort of misogyny and stress she was under. And then we would go into, obviously, the final part of the book that I feel honestly is a really important story to tell, which is the conservatorship abuse that she suffered. You know, she was in a conservatorship for 13 years. She was controlled by her family, especially her dad unable to like make decisions for herself, unable to make financial decisions for herself and so on. So we would go into detail on the financial abuse that she suffered, sort of how all the things that she suffered during that time and how she came out the other side. So that's part two. So, you know, go ahead and listen to that in about two weeks. All right. So let's get into it. First things first, do I think this is a well-written book? Okay. 
I don't think this is a literary book. In the sense that if you're looking for something that is beautifully crafted, you know, the language is beautiful. And, you know, it feels literary, you know, and there's like metaphors and things like that that makes you feel like, in terms of language, well-written book. No, I don't think it's that sort of book. But I also don't think that we are looking for Britney's memoir to be a literary, you know, sensation. But I do think that it is quite simply written. The, the language is kept very simple. And in case you don't know, Britney did use ghostwriters. I believe it's not just one. It might be a few because at the end of the book, she actually thanks her collaborators. And it's very obvious that it was written by a few or maybe a ghostwriter who clearly had a lot of access to Britney, who talked to Britney a lot and put her story into words. But it is a very simply written book. You know, there's not a lot of like, you're not going to find a lot of like difficult vocab or anything because I think Britney really brought a level of like, she wanted to just tell her story in a fairly straightforward manner. And that's what this is. Um, I do think, however, that it is quite a heartfelt book, especially near the end, right, when she's talking about her conservatorship and stuff like that and how she felt watching people advocate for her in the public during the Free Britney movement. I actually felt very touched. So I do think that it is a book that would make you feel things, even if it's not a particularly literary book. Secondly, do I think it is a trustworthy book? Okay, this is a hard one because I think by definition, all memoirs are sort of like, you know, it's an unreliable narrator, right? Like, there's no omnipresent person to tell us that this happened and this was right and this is accurate or not. This is her account of things, her interpretation of what happened to her and her memories and everything. And it's possible that some of the things that she said would be disputed by other people in the story. And I believe that probably if you ask Britney's parents, if you ask Britney's sister, if you ask Justin Timberlake, they will tell you, oh, it's a lot more nuanced than what she said, and blah, 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 and so on. But I do think there is still value in it. Like, honestly, I do think that Britney clearly, like, with all celebrities, right, you know, they clearly want to come off well. And I think in the book, Britney does come off quite well, even though she does also, I'll get into it later, but she does also talk about her own flaws. But ultimately, it is a memoir written by Britney Spears or, you know, rather written by her ghostwriters for Britney Spears. But it is ultimately from Britney's perspective. So I wouldn't say that it's 100% trustworthy, okay? Some of the stuff, especially about the conservatorship, has later on come out in court. So some of that stuff is quite accurate. But uh, a lot of the other stuff, like all those personal relationship stuff, we don't know. Ultimately, we don't know. But I think there is value in listening to Britney's side of the story, given that for so many years, she didn't say anything. She didn't say anything about the rumors uh, with her and Justin. She didn't say a lot of stuff about her mental health breakdown. She didn't really talk about the conservatorship for a very long time for obvious reasons because she was under the control of her father and other co-conservators and she couldn't speak up for herself. So I think there definitely is value in reading it, even if Britney is an unreliable narrator. Okay, and the final question before I launch into my actual discussion of the book, is there self-revelation and introspection in this book? Yes, definitely. Definitely there is. I think Brittany does talk about how she was feeling at the time, how because of different things, she felt very alone, she felt very isolated, and she acted out. She admits that there were times that she really did not behave well. 
and that there were times that she was a very difficult person to be with and she is working on that or that she sees that, you know, and so on. So there is a level of self-reflection and introspection. It's not like a lot, you know, but I think she definitely sees some of her own flaws is what I'm saying. And I, I think that was nice. But because it's only 275 pages long, it's not like super, super, super in-depth. So like the first few chapters are mainly about like Britney's childhood, you know, the history in her family, the history of abuse in her family in particular, the history of addiction in her family. And then you go into like her going to join the Mickey Mouse Club, which was how she got her start in entertainment. And then, you know, obviously we move on to like, oh, she's a big star now, and then Justin and everything and so on. But despite like it covering her childhood to the end of the conservatorship, a lot of stuff is quite sparse. Obviously, like, she can't fill in all the details of her life and we wouldn't want her to because, like, clearly, like, you don't want it to be a laundry list of things that happened to her. So, yeah, I'm just saying that it's not super, super in-depth, but I think it is quite a good capture of who she is and I quite enjoyed myself reading the book. All right, now let's get into it. Okay, so as I said, I have a few parts. I want to talk about Justin Timberlake and then we have, you know, the whole Kevin Federline thing and then all the stuff that led up to her mental breakdown and obviously the financial abuse and conservatorship issue. So let's just get into the Justin Timberlake of it all. Okay, first things first. This book, um, unlike a lot of other celebrity memoirs where the celebrities actually narrated themselves for the audiobook, no, 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 this book is narrated by primetime Emmy Award winner Michelle Williams. Okay, five-time Academy Award nominee Michelle Williams reads this book. And it is amazing and has gone viral because of a particular part involving Justin. All right, as I mentioned earlier, Justin and Britney dated from like 1999 to 2001. And she actually talks a lot about like, it's very funny. She's very like, she's quite savage, okay, when it comes to certain things. And she's savage in a way that I don't find it particularly malicious. I find it very, very funny. And okay, so we're going to start off the discussion of the book with this. Basically, if you go and listen to like the audiobook, you will hear this part. And here, right, I think Britney actually makes a fairly like insightful comment um, when she says Justin's band NSYNC was what people back then called so pimp. So that's a quotation mark, so pimp. And I'm quoting her book right now. They were white boys, but they loved hip hop. To me, that's what separated them from the Backstreet Boys who seemed very consciously to position themselves as a white group. NSYNC hung out with black artists. Sometimes I thought they tried too hard to fit in. Then she says, One day Jay and I were in New York, going to parts of town I'd never been to before. Walking our way was a guy with a huge, blinged-out medallion. He was flanked by two giant security guards. Jay got all excited and said so loud, Oh yeah, foshes, foshes, genuine, what's up, homie? After Genuine walked away, Felicia did an impression of Jay. Oh yeah, foshiz, foshiz, Genuine. Jay wasn't even embarrassed. He just took it and looked at her like, okay, guys, I love this clip, okay? You don't understand how much I love this clip. Because firstly, if you go and listen to like Michelle Williams, Michelle Williams adopting Justin Timberlake's black voice and committing to the bit just... Give her a Grammy right now. Michelle Williams actually can be nominated for a Grammy for narrating Britney Spears' book. So 
like Michelle Williams' Grammy Let's Go, right? Okay? So, <clears throat> straight up, she's already telling us what we all kind of knew about Justin Timberlake, that he's kind of cringe, right? He's kind of cringe. He's a little bit, you know, like wants to hang out with the black artist while enjoying his white privilege and everything. Obviously, like, Britney doesn't go super deep on, like, the race stuff, but she's just, like, observing, like, what happened at the time. And it's so funny, so hilarious, and it's so on point. And it's, like, I really don't think anyone would doubt that this was true because I feel like over the years, Justin Timberlake has proven himself to be that kind of cringe. And, yeah, I'm just saying this is a great point at which we start we start the discussion on the book because... It tells you everything you need to know that, like, Britney is actually very, very insightful about the things that's happening around her. Britney is quite savage when she wants to be and quite funny when she wants to be. And also, Justin Timberlake is cringe, which is going to be a lot of the discussion in this particular segment. All right. And obviously, the thing that has really hogged headlines ever since Britney released this book is the fact that she reveals that she got pregnant when she was with Justin Timberlake and because Justin Timberlake didn't want to be a father, thought they were too young, she agreed to abort the baby. And if you only read headlines, you would be like, oh, okay, just so Justin Timberlake talked her into getting an abortion. Uh, yeah, kind of sucks, but you know, it's like their choice. And she's not alleging that he forced her. He, she doesn't allege that. She does imply that she was a little bit coerced into it. But um, it's actually a lot worse when you read the book. Like, what happened during the abortion is a lot worse. And I will read out a little bit of what Brittany says. So she says, Justin definitely wasn't happy about the pregnancy. He said we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives, that we were way too young. I believe at this time she was maybe about 20, both of them. And she says, I could understand. I mean, I kind of understood if he didn't want to become a father, I didn't feel like I had much of a choice. I wouldn't want to push him into something he didn't want. Our relationship was too important to me. And so I'm sure people will hate me for this, but I agreed not to have a baby. Okay, Brittany says like she's not the kind who would ever consider abortion like if she had a choice. And she still doesn't know if it was the right decision. Like if it was left up to her, she would not have done it. But she does talk about the process of the abortion itself. And it's so sad. It's really, like, so sad. And also, again, Justin Timberlake really sucks in this. She talks about how, like, they, because they were so famous at the time, right? Britney, at this point in her career, had already, you know, released, like, Baby One More Time. She had already released uh, Oops, I Did It Again and so on. So she was already very famous. And Justin was an NSYNC, nowhere near as famous as Britney, if I may say so myself. Like, honestly, Justin Timberlake launched his career off Britney Spears. Like, he launched his career off the breakup. But okay, never mind, we'll get into it later. But because they were so famous, right, they decided on something that Britney says, in her view, was wrong. They decided not to go to a doctor or to a hospital to have an abortion because they felt that no one can find out about the pregnancy or the abortion. They didn't want the peps to find out, so they did it at home. And they apparently didn't even tell Britney's family. So the only people who knew was Justin, Britney, and Felicia, who was, I believe, Britney's assistant at that time. And she essentially took pills to have an abortion. So when you take pills, it essentially induces a miscarriage. Um, okay, so this part, again, like trigger warning, it is a description of an abortion. So she says, I took the pills. Soon I started having excruciating cramps. 
I went into the bathroom and stayed there for hours, lying on the floor, sobbing and screaming. They should have numbed me with something, I thought. I wanted some kind of anesthesia. I wanted to go to the doctor. I was so scared. I lay there wondering if I was going to die. When I tell you it was painful, I can't even begin to describe it. The pain was unbelievable. I went down to the ground on my knees holding the toilet. For a long time, I couldn't move. To this day, it's one of the most agonizing things I have ever experienced in my life. Still, they didn't take me to the hospital. Justin came into the bathroom and lay on the floor with me. At some point, he thought maybe music would help, and he got his guitar, and he lay there with me, strumming it. Guys, Justin Timber... Okay, Brittany only says like, oh, he played his guitar, and then she says she kept crying until it was over, and so on. And she never like makes a comment on the guitar again, but the guitar, your girlfriend, is miscarrying in pain crying next to you and the only thing you do is to sit next to her and play your guitar so like i'm sorry what okay he was 20 and like you know maybe he didn't know better but like i think when you see someone in that much pain you should probably like get a doctor get some help instead of sitting beside her and play she's miscarrying right next to you like i'm sorry i read this and i felt this deep deep disdain for Justin Timberlake. And I I don't think I will ever not feel that way again. Like, it really sucks. Okay, paints him in a horrible light. Like, I think not wanting to be a father, everything, like, okay, understand it. But I think if you care about someone, you should, like, care about them getting, you know, medical help. And I understand that, like, the paparazzi was clearly very invasive uh, for both of them at a point in their lives. And maybe that's why they didn't want to do that. But... I don't know, I feel like if Britney was in so much pain, he should have done a lot more to help her, given that he's the father of the child that they never had. Alright, moving on from the abortion stuff. But, okay, I think what makes all of this worse, right? The abortion and everything. All of it worse is the way Justin Timberlake really slut-shamed Britney after the two of them broke up. And the interesting thing is, I thought that Britney would be a lot more angry at Justin Timberlake for what he did after the breakup. Because after the breakup, he essentially, as I said, launched his career off the breakup. He wrote Cry Me a River, which was all about like this woman cheating on him. And he cast this girl who looks like exactly like Britney. He cast like a Britney lookalike in his Cry Me a River video. And talked about how like his heart was broken because Britney cheated on him and everything like that. And Britney says like, oh, actually... Justin also cheated on me and he failed to mention that in, you know, all of the material that he put out after the breakup and all of the interviews that he did. And then I thought that she would be really mad that Justin Timberlake actually reveals that Britney slept with him during the time that they were together. Because at the time, and this ties into another point that we're going to talk about, like basically the misogyny runs throughout the book, but this ties into another point we're going to talk about, which is that Britney was very actively positioned as a virgin idol. So her virginity was something that people talked about a lot. Obviously, in 2023 eyes. And, you know, I think obviously with a little bit more hindsight, all of us are looking back and feeling a little bit horrified. Like, why are we so fixated on a teenage idol's sex life, right? Uh, the, the sex life or lack thereof. But actually, Britney says she lost her virginity at 14, actually. And it was just that the company wanted her to push this image. So she did. 
And that's why she says that she wasn't mad that Justin Timberlake talked about their sex life, that talked about the fact that they had sex. And she actually says Justin told everyone that he and I had a sexual relationship. So basically, Justin Timberlake made it clear that he and Britney had a sexual relationship, essentially outing her and essentially revealing that she's not a virgin. Like, honestly, from my perspective as a woman, I would feel very, very uncomfortable and honestly very angry if any of my ex-boyfriends went out there and talked about, like, our sexual history. Or I would feel very angry on behalf of any woman whose past partners went out there and talked about their sexual history. I think any man would not enjoy hearing their ex-girlfriends talk about their sexual performance or how they were like in bed. I think that's just a really private thing and it's not cool to reveal to the world. It's not even like you're talking to your friends, right? Like you're literally revealing to... She's a world-famous woman and you are revealing this to the world. You know that people will pick it up. You know that people will talk about it. You know people will ask her about it. And it just felt so, you know, misogynistic and calculated and honestly cruel. I found it very cruel. But actually... Britney says, this is what Britney says, Was I mad at being outed by him as sexually active? No, to be honest with you, I like that Justin said that. Why did my managers work so hard to claim I was some kind of young girl virgin, even into my 20s? Whose business was it if I'd had sex or not? Obviously, Britney is right, and she's not mad at Justin Timberlake, but I am, because I feel like, yeah, of course, like, you shouldn't have been marketed this way, but I also feel like he should not be the one making the choice to out you. Like, so, yes, Brittany, you're a bigger person than me. You forgive him, or rather, you don't feel mad at him for it, but I do, and I hold a grudge, all right? So I will hold a grudge for you. And so, as I said, this whole discussion on virginity, and this would tie into, you know, the misogyny and everything that she eventually experienced, this whole discussion on virginity, I think, really hit me quite hard because I think, Anyone my age, and especially someone older than me, I think a slightly older millennial than me, maybe around the same age as Britney, would feel the same way as I do. Because growing up, I think we saw the headlines that surrounded Britney. You know, she's a bad girl. This idea that she's bad, that she's shameful because she had sexual encounters and sexual relationships and she was not a virgin. She broke the promise of being a virgin and everything. And I think growing up, a lot of women have felt in one way or another that their value was tied to their chastity. Of course, this is not something that I condone, but I think society in some way or other has made women feel like that a lot at the various points in their life. And this idea that Britney's bad, like Britney's a girl that we shouldn't look up to. She's a bad example. This thing is something I remember very, very clearly. And now looking back, you know, obviously as an adult, you can see how misogynistic that sort of narrative was and I really do feel for her because like I cannot imagine being her age being 17, 18, 19 and suffering that sort of speculation about your sexual experiences the sort of speculation around your body the, the sort of like they want to leer at you because people leered at Britney Britney was like you know marketed as very sexily so like being leered at but also being shamed for your body is just it's a bad hit space to be in and I am not in the least surprised that Britney eventually suffered so many mental health issues and body image issues because of it. Alright, now moving on slightly after Justin Timberlake, obviously there's a lot of stuff in here, okay? Like, the Justin Timberlake breakup 
was really bad and it really affected her and was one of the factors I think that pushed her in a direction that was really uh, not healthy for her mind. And obviously, like, there's all this stuff about Diane Sawyer. She was, like, on an interview with Diane Sawyer and she grilled her and interrogated her and it was really it done in bad faith and everything. Okay, so there's all that stuff. But I want to bring up another point, uh, something that really, again, hit me hard. I'm just, this is a very personal book club because it's really just me talking to you guys. It's not like I have somebody else to talk to. But, um, so basically, this was after her breakup with Justin and she was also depressed because she had a knee injury And she just had a bad time, all right? And then we're moving on to the little part about Kevin Federline. A lot of the stuff about Kevin Federline is actually about, like, their divorce. But this part really hit me. Obviously, Kevin Federline is the guy that she married, had two kids with, and then eventually divorced. And he also, oh, he's not a nice guy. He gave her a very hard time. Okay, but she's talking about how she fell in love with Kevin Federline. And this really affected me. She says... We met at a club called Joseph's Cafe in Hollywood, where I used to sit at a table in the back. Right away from the moment I saw him, there was a connection between us, something that made me feel like I could escape everything that was hard in my life. That very first night we met, he held me, and I mean held me, in a pool for hours. That was how he was to me, steady, strong, a comfort. I remember we would go swimming and he would just wrap his arms around me in the water and not let me go until I wanted him to, no matter how long that took. It was beyond a sexual thing. It wasn't about lust. It was intimate. He would hold me as long as I wanted to be held. Had anyone in my life ever done that before? If so, I couldn't remember when. And was there anything better? This is why she fell in love with him. Okay, he held her in a swimming pool. And that's why she fell in love with him. Can you imagine being so starved for love and affection that this is the reason you fall in love with a man? Because he's the only one in your life who would hold you. And again, this reflects badly on Justin Timberlake. What was he doing during that relationship? I don't know. But also reflects very, very badly on the people around Britney, that she felt so unloved, that she fell for this man who did literally the least he could do. He's just putting his arms around her. And just that alone made her feel, like putting his arms around her for as long as he needed to, of course. But that's a low bar. That is a low bar to fall in love with a man. And it made me feel really sad because she must be so starved for love, so starved for intimacy, as she says, right? Like, it's not a sex thing, it's intimacy, it's feeling intimate. And she says, like, you know, the press kept suggesting famous men who I should date, royalty, CEOs, models. How could I explain that I just wanted to be held for an hour by a man in a swimming pool? It's so sad. And she actually says, like, she just wants someone to, like, take care of her and tell her everything is okay. And then she, like, apologizes because she says, like, I know it sounds regressive, like, in a feminist way, but she says, like, it's a human impulse. We all want to feel safe and alive and sexy all at the same time. And that's what Kevin did for her. But, like, when I was reading this, I I just felt like, man, this is a low bar to clear. And she clearly was in such a bad space that this man came, gave her the least amount, and she was like, yes. And she felt like this was precious and this was rare. And it just made me really feel for her because I think... A lot of people have been through 
stages in their life where maybe they feel alone or maybe they feel, you know, like maybe they've been single for a very long time or maybe they've not had a very good family life and they make the smallest things seem amazing. And when you step out of it, you're like, no, that's not amazing. He just did like a fairly like basic human thing. And you saw that as like the most amazing thing someone could do for you. And I just felt really sad reading that. Alright, now that we're done with the whole her falling in love with Kevin Federline thing, we're about to move on into, you know, Britney's eventual meltdown in public and her financial abuse and conservatorship issues in part two. So I will leave you here for now. I hope at the very least this episode made you have all the reasons to hate Justin Timberlake because I wake up every day baseline angry at Justin Timberlake. Like every day I have a baseline level of rage at Justin Timberlake and I think he deserves it. And I encourage you to do the same if you also feel that it helps you to have a baseline level of rage at Justin Timberlake. It certainly helps me. I I feel like I move through the world a more confident person hating Justin Timberlake. And Britney Spears has given me a lot of firepower to do that. Okay, anyway, so I'll leave you here for today. We will have a part two coming up. Please stay tuned for part two. All right, that's all for right now. If you have any ideas on what I should talk about, anything you want me to explore, be it in this series or in Can I Tell You Something Crazy, you can email us at podcast at sph.com.sg or you can email me at jenly at sph.com.sg or you can slide to my DMs at jenlyrides. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.